Okay, great. Well, um, those first two, uh, first two presenters actually did a lot of our work for us, uh, which is really great. A lot of the sort of programmatic challenges and on the individual level challenges were really covered. But for us, what we would like to do is kind of take a step back and think about some of these more, reflect on some of these more broader implications about what it means um, to provide some form of post-secondary um, education in, in refugee context. So uh, first, just introduce myself. My name is Heather Donald and I'm Laura Stankowitz. And so we've both been involved with research and work in the last few, few years around access to and provision of higher education in refugee camps, and particularly looking at three of the first programs um, that have been provided, providing accredited um, university and college level diplomas and uni uh, university degrees in long-term refugee contexts. Um, and so uh, we use the term superheroes in our title. Um, for us, it's a way of talking about innovators both at the programmatic level, so um, whether that's implementing organizations, faculty, instructional designers, as well as those um, innovators at the bottom, bottom level too, those affected communities, recognizing the potential um, that they have for contribution and some of the many things that they're already adapting um, and doing as well. And so it's a way of sort of acknowledging the challenges of pushing boundaries, a lot of what we've been talking about in this conference so far, and reflecting, reflecting on practices. Often we're always, you know, go, 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 thinking about what is good enough in our context. And so um, we're just encouraging through this presentation to, to just to st take a step back and, okay, what, have we get, what, what can we learn from what's been done already and, you know, moving forward in that, in that reflexive way. So... Why higher education for refugees? We just heard um, a presentation that focused more on skills, skills-specific um, education, which definitely is extremely important. And what we feel is is just to be able to give more options. You know, this isn't about okay, these are you know refugees. They need a particular type of um, education. They should have um, ability to access any form of education and fulfill their potential in in that way. And so the short answer is why not? Um, the current, we've already talked at length in this conference about how the current humanitarian architecture um, doesn't necessarily function well enough to think about um, providing durable solutions for everyone. And uh, as, you know, as was mentioned on many occasions, but still bears repeating, you know, 20 years is the new, the new average for people spending um, in displacement. And so, uh, but really to, to recognize that um, these are individuals that have adapted, created, recreated, and thrived in these really challenging um, environments. And so um, they, in fact, they stand most to be able to contribute to thinking about how we can um, shift and um, actively listen to beneficiaries or those on the ground that have these, um, these experiences. And so um, they, they are definitely best placed to be able to contribute to community development concerns um, and this crisis of legitimacy in the in the humanitarian uh, system that was talked about this morning that Sarah that Sarah talked about, and so um, like a lot of the dialogue that's been going on at, the co at this conference, um, education is seen as this enabling factor for innovation, and we see uh, that higher education provides that possibility to bridge these this human humanitarian and development approaches, um, and to support individuals and communities um, in the context of a really uncertain future. You know, we're really saying that there, isn't, there aren't a lot of durable solutions. Um, you know, the three that UNHCR have mandated, 
don't necessarily work that well in practice. And so certainly we're looking at, you know, what can be flexible, portable um, in terms of an asset that individuals can take with them. And, you know, universities and colleges traditionally have been spaces where, you know, creativity, ingenuity can be cultivated um, and individuals are exposed to more new ideas and, and openness. And so it's also about being part of a, a larger community. So bringing um, refugee learners themselves into this larger academic community where more of this uh, multi-directional learning can happen. Um, and, and also this idea of viewing refugees in a particular way as you know, recipients of aid, as not necessarily being active um, in their own development. And I, I really, we really see that higher education can provide um, that, that shift to seeing um, refugees as drivers of their, of their own development. Um, and so Laura's going to talk a little bit more about um, the insi insights gained from the three programs that, e that uh, the two of us have worked with and lay out a little bit more on the, the reflective framework side. Um, all right, so for, uh, we'll do a brief overview of the three programs that we studied and we selected these three because they're the oldest and so kind of have the most lessons to draw out. The first one is um, ACU, which stands for Australian Catholic University, and they've been working since 2004 on the Thai-Burma border. Right now, they're offering a liberal arts diploma, in, um, and they have a set curriculum of eight courses, and they use a mixture of online tutoring, distance learning, and face-to-face -face materials. They have like a really specific set of constraints in terms of, um, like most, most of the um, refugees are undocumented, and so they have constraints around movement, as well as around education, of how much education you can have. So what they've done in order to make this happen is to build boarding houses, and the students actually live in the houses, and then they have internet and computers through there. They each have a personal computer that they work on, and then they give back afterwards. Um, there's, there's three different sites, and there's about 49 students in that program. Some of the students, um, the ones who are documented, can migrate in and out of the houses, but the majority of them live there. Um, the second set of programs, which is actually expanding um, really rapidly in the next couple of years, is JCHEM, which stands for Jesuit Commons Higher Education at the Margin. So it's kind of a long title. Jesuits have a, um, if you're familiar with the Jesuit universities, there's a long-standing uh, tradition um, of just you know academics and, and higher learning, it's like an emphasis that they have. And so they were inspired. Some of the universities were originally involved with Australian Catholic University, but they were inspired by the model. And so the 28 Jesuit-based universities came together to form a consortium um, to start offering this to themselves, and that was in 2010. And so there are three sites that they opened initially to sort of learn more about the scope. We're in um, Kakuma in Kenya, in Malawi, which is a word I still can say, and Amman, Jordan, which is not a camp, it's an urban space. And so that has a, a little bit of a different of a dynamic, but they all operate on the same platform. So they actually built a platform um, on desire to learn and all of the and there's sort of an innovation and partnership because universities aren't necessarily natural partners. They're actually more akin to like natural competitors. But they've all come together to just freely solicit professors to donate courses to put on the site. And so their degree is completely online, and they get a liberal arts diploma from Regis University in Colorado. Um, and then the students can pick a concentration in either business, community development, or education. Although they're expanding those out. Um, in the next couple of years, they're thinking, hoping social to include work. psychosocial support, social work, um, and community health, which are all, they've kind of listened to the voices of like, what students want to learn. Um, and then the structure of it is they travel to what they call group based centers. Um, and it, it's, it's, I know it's different in Jordan as well, in context, but um, they travel to a group based centers, which they've um, housed with um, internet, which are hosted at Jesuit Relief Service sites, JRS sites. 
And so there is internet, computer, solar power. Um, so the students go to the center as they have a morning and an afternoon session. And it's there, it's more self-paced. There are semester deadlines, but they can kind of take their own time. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about how the, the in-person support works with that later. Um, and then the last program is the BEAR program, which stands for Borderless Higher Education for Refugees. And this is, um, this is a really unique program because it's a partnership of Canadian universities, Kenyan universities, and um, NGOs working in the Dadaab camp. So there's a consortium of four universities um, that all sort of so this series of like serendipitous events came together. I won't I don't go into the whole story, even though it's a really lovely story, but you can read our paper if you want to uh, know more about that. Um, but yeah, they, um, they, the, um, the way, the way, I guess, at, we'll just put the serendipitous event have happened. And so when they had, um, their first meetings all together, they, uh, decided they did a needs assessment and decided that there was just as much need for refugees in Garissa County, which is where Dadaab is, as there were for local students. And so Kenyatta University in Kenya actually opened up a satellite campus there that the refugees are able to attend. Um, so... That's a, yeah, that's just a whole, that it's taken a long time, but it's been really productive. So the degree, the way they set the degree up, it's, it's what they call stackable. And so they have a pre-university year um, where they get a certificate through Wendell Trust Kenya just to get up the English language learning skills, ICT skills, and research and analytical skills. And then the first two years of the program are sort of akin to like an what we would call like an associate's degree, um, and they get it in either primary or secondary education. And if they don't, if they don't want to continue anymore for whatever reason, they're not able to continue. They can teach, so they'd be certified to teach in the camps. Um, if they do opt to continue, they get a full bachelor's degree after two more years. And a kind of like JCM, the concentrations are education or, or business. Um, and the structure of that one is, um, at least the hope, they're in its third year right now. The structure of it is um, they're doing 80-20, so I'll just go 80-20-60-40-40-60-20-80 of face-to-face um, uh, -face online. So the idea is that you build up to the entire online structure, and but when you're starting off, it's like more face-to-face. -face. Um, so those are the our, our four, uh, basically a basic overview of the three programs. What we, what we focused on more was... Um, how like the lessons we can take away from these programs over the years and sort of the implications they have both on students as well as like the, the broader universal impl implications that you can take away. And we thought about this in three different ways. The first was just like the process of launching a program, um, which I'm sure most of us have been involved with. And the second was the impact, which is the various spheres of influence that ripple out when a program like this is in place. And then the third one, and one of the most important pieces, like we believe was like student support too, which is both supporting students in their learning, but also supporting students as they contribute to like the global pool of knowledge and like the global pool of talent, which is what we hope that universities do. Um, so we'll go, uh, I guess, uh, framework by framework here. So the first one we have is process. Um, so thoughtful humanitarians and program designers that we are, we have all of our own like biases and lenses that we like look, you know, we kind of view the world in. Um, and we also, granted whatever organization we're working with, we had the additional agenda of accomplishing that goal. So we tried to like strip a lot of that away and just kind of focus on like what we were doing and like how sustainable that is. And so, I mean, they kind of like a three-step process within process. We first, the first thing is to assess need and like our for the goal alignment, our goals at the top align with the bottom. So in the terms of like the higher ed for refugees, one of the things they found was that they don't, a lot of times refugees don't specifically want like a skill, they want an accredited degree for the camp. So that's like a, that was a, you know, thing we had to think about. The second is um, how is need measured and like, like who is also doing the measurement and the third was commitment. 
Um, I guess I'm just pulling this face up. And so the second phase was co-design. Um, do refugees sort of play a central role in the planning teams? And like, where do these meetings take place? Like, who's at the table? Who's making the decisions? Um, but part of the reason the Bear degree was set up the way it was to be stackable is because people weren't sure if they were going to be able to commit four years to a degree. But after two, after two years, it gives them more flexibility to sort of kind of design their own future and give some more agency. Um, how much time? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so the second, but yeah, so are we, and then kind of more questions to be asked around the co-design process are, are we making innovation work for us and not the other way around? Because a lot of times, especially with openware, programs sort of get dropped in and there's nothing to support them. So kind of like the big tutoring piece, we'll go back into that. Um, the third is it just, you know, balance of power, like, again, saying, like, who is making the decisions, like, how are decisions being made, and, like, whose voices are really the ones swaying it. And third is just anticipating obstacles, because it's, there's always stuff that's going to happen, and which we can't control, but it's more about how you react to it, and specifically when you're dealing with students, that's a little bit more sensitive. Um, and then the third is just delivering. So, kind of going back to the degrees, like, finding the balance between short-term skills provision and giving livelihoods, like, in the very short term, but also thinking about these durable solutions in the long term and just so setting people up for success in both realms, which is not which is not easy. Um, find ground zero, which kind of also again makes a lot of sense, but um, a lot of the programs found that after they launched, like after the first year, students couldn't even use the technology to log on. So they had to create a, what they call now academic bridging programs. So kind of like I was saying with the Bear, they have like that pre-university year. JC Hem has something similar. Um, and then ACU also does like an academic English course before they start. So kind of just meeting people where they are. And then third is, is it sustainable, which leads really nicely into, yeah, you mentioned? No, I'm just going to say, like, the, on yeah. the sustainability front, thinking about, okay, you know, are we bringing in this pilot for two years? Is there something, are we thinking about this wider long term? And I know that that's one thing that uh, the way that I see higher education for refugees fitting in this bigger thing is, there's always this disconnect about what we're providing within a humanitarian framework or what funding there is for this humanitarian work and then what is available for development work or where that's coming from. And so you don't want to just bring in this pilot and then, oh, by the way, uh, we don't have any more funding for that. And so th there are these expectations around what can happen from this degree or what's coming next. And then to sort of take that all away again, you're, you end up doing more harm than good. Of course, your intentions are good, but because you're not thinking about sort of the whole long-term lifespan of this kind of thing, then um, yeah, sustainability becomes a big issue. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that is the kind of sort of the process framework. The second one that we came up with is impact. And so when you do any program, it's gonna, you know, no program is a pinprick, it sort of like ripples out. And so, I mean, the most observable level is the individual. Like you've educated a person, they have access to more opportunities in that period. Okay, we have five minutes. <laughs> um, all right, well, I'll run this. this we're just looking because. at the sort of positive multiplier yeah. effects. People think that investment in higher education, it's a lot of money for fewer people, right, when you're looking at pro versus mm -hmm. primary education. But we're saying that, you know, there are, there is this very large positive uh, multiplier effect. You get more qualified teachers ready to teach at the primary and secondary school level. You get communities that feel more that they're included in these processes and that there are these other individuals that can also speak um, like speak for them too they'd be more they've gone through this this education processes and it ends up impacting on the the wider ecosystem as well yeah and also kind of along the same line though just sort of deterring from the negative effects because when you educate more people especially girls like that it, it there's a shift in power dynamics too whether like it, it's it's you know 
having like facilitating better dynamics or cementing like existing sort of more harmful ones and the second thing uh, the last thing is like the ecosystem like so you've educated more people like great like how does it affect the local economy household income livelihoods health um so try to like measuring it all that way as well then the third one is student support and so there are so many different ways now that we have tech, like all these new technologies to like have to get up in-person tutors like synchronous or asynchronous. Like, are the tutors trained? Are the tutors paid? There's so many different models, and it's like about finding what works for them. But the, what students said they wanted most, like it doesn't like location and time necessarily doesn't matter. Is like commitment. Like they want commit people that are committed, engaged, regularly interact, and they also want to build this sense of community. And we've both interviewed like a lot of it, this is a lot of students, and these are just like the four. Like the strongest things that come out. We were going to do an activity, but but I don't know. We we're going to do a stand up sit down. Um, should we just we'll just, we'll we'll just yeah, let's yeah. go through. But basically, we wanted to get people thinking a little bit, but also getting up because we know that it's getting towards the end of the day. But <laughs> instead of doing that, we're going to move. Um, so that's sort of like you know a, a broader overview from the programmatic insights that we've kind of gained. But also, what's important is um, thinking about the insights that uh, can be gained from those individuals. Um, before they start the programs, but especially once they've gone through the program. So now we're at the point where, for example, uh, the JCHEM program finished its pilot phase in 2013, and it's it's scaling up from there based on the insights that they've that they've gained. And so now it's it's you know there there is this alumni, there are these individuals who have gone through this program. Maybe you've I mean you've accompanied them through this entire program, and now what? Right? You want to make sure that you're not educating in, into a void, and that you're providing further opportunities for those individuals to um, contribute their insights uh, in, a, in a larger way. So, for example, um, this. A uh, photo on the right-hand side shows um, an actual academic publication that an individual from the first cohort um, in Malawi published, which was peer-reviewed and all of this. And, he, and of course, that requires additional mentorship, right? I mean, but to feel that your your voice or your writing is being valued on a larger scale than beyond your individual context, and now this piece is actually used by all the faculty as part of their orientation. So again, we're looking at what are the knowledge that can be generated within these spaces and contributing back to doing processes better. Uh, the middle photo is um, a community asset map, which was made uh, during one of the courses. So again, trying to contextualize uh, more of the activities that are going on. As Laura mentioned, a lot of these courses can be donated. So they are a much, much more global north centric, right? The examples about baseball and ice cream and these sort of things need to be thought about in a much more contextual way. And so trying to integrate more things that can then again feed back into better community practices within camps. For example, a map done by refugee learners themselves. Um, this is again, a, this is a facilitation. So using the physical spaces um, as well. I think this is a part of the eight weeks um, orientation training that um, uh, JC Hem does, and this individual is a graduate from the first cohort, and now he's the academic coordinator of the whole program. So again, you're taking the insights of someone and mentoring them, and you're you're providing that sort of ownership of the program as well, right? So that's another, and that, this was a was a quote, anyways, about vulner, vulnerability. Again, we have to be careful about the language that we use, whether somebody themselves are vulnerable or they're in a vulnerable context, right? You're seeing the potential of people too, so. Uh, just okay, maybe two minutes. Anyways, just right. a, a look at into the no. Okay, so yeah, this is what the learning spaces. Learning some like. learning spaces. That's fine. Ta -da. Mm -hmm. And again, just some of the 
a little bit cut off, but just some of the main takeaway points that we wanted um, people to go away with in terms of um, reflecting, moving forward, um, that can be applied to a lot of uh, different, I mean, in higher education specifically, but broader um, educational spheres. Again, another, another food for thought uh, that, yeah, we can have all the technology in the world, but we need to think about context too. Thank you for giving Thank us you. the extra Thank two minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.